now. And now. From Greater Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour. With your host, Alexander. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between and beyond, it is the Santon Times Hour again on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms. I'm Alexander Lightman. This is edition 132. It's week 38 of 2023. And let me tell you, I'm excited to be with you again, as always. If you'd like to send through your questions, your comments, your feedback, you can do so by emailing editor at santantimes.ca.za or connecting on social media at Santantimes and visiting the website www.santantimes.co.za. And uh, if you're listening live on Mix 93.8 and not uh, via the podcast, well, you can use the WhatsApp line. It's open on 0848220938. That's 0848220938. Well, if you're in uh, the borders of Johannesburg or Pretoria, I'm uh, welcoming you and thank you for listening. Also, if you're across South Africa or anywhere else in the world, if you're listening online or on air, I'm happy to report that all is well in Santonland. And I'm joined again by my man behind the mixing desk, Vincenzo. It's good to have you back. And gee whiz, what a busy week it has been. Everything's been happening this week. I had a dinner at the uh, Radisson Bloon Santon. They've launched a new summer menu. Then I had the rare privilege of sitting down with uh, Nelson Mandela's former personal chef as she launched uh, her second cookbook. And I'll be bringing you that interview very soon. And uh, then Crocs launched a new range of footwear. I headed to Pretoria to uh, see Trevor Noah. And uh, what a great night out that was. If you didn't go, I'm telling you, you missed out. It was really fantastic. Mercedes-Benz, they launched some new electric vehicles here at the Polo Club in Ananda. Under Armour opened a new saw. The Rugby World Cup is keeping us all sane, and I've got a new show for you. So let's get right into it. Coming up on this week's show, one of South Africa's most iconic shopping centers turns 50 years old, and I take a moment to reflect on this Santon milestone. Then there's a new Miss Earth for 2023, and she's been crowned in Santon, and I'm going to be finding out from the event organizers who she is and what it all means. So stay tuned. And if you're into motoring and motorsports, there's a major new electric race with supercars on the cards. And uh, that launched in Santon not too long ago. So stay tuned for that. And uh, with the Rugby World Cup going strong, I catch up with a former Springbok coach for a check-in on him and his new book. And finally, if you love or hate snakes, this last chat is one for you. This and more is coming up shortly, and uh, it's time to get the hour going with our first bit of music. He's from Zimbabwe, and he's super talented. It's Kelvin Jones with Carry You on the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8. The best of Santon and beyond. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. It is the Santon Times on Mix 93.8 and available on all good podcast platforms. And as we get this uh, week's show on the road, uh, a very notable anniversary taking place uh, this month. I mean, uh, what would Santon be without Santon City? It's sort of almost like the genesis of uh, what uh, Santon has become. And uh, this, uh, well, I'd like to call it a shopping center, but I think it's almost like a monument uh, in South African history. It is celebrating 50 years, and here to chat to me about uh, this anniversary and so much more is Amelia Beattie. She's the chief executive of Liberty Two Degrees. And Amelia, it's great to have you on the Santon Times Hour again. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Amelia, congratulations, first off, uh, 50 years of Santon City. Uh, what does it mean to uh, you? What does it mean to Liberty Two Degrees? 
Thank you very much. We're very proud to be able to celebrate this milestone with all those that have come before us. Oh, I certainly have only been looking after this asset for the last 10 years, and it's every girl's dream, not only to have diamonds, but uh, to have Santon City uh, on her CV. So it's really wonderful um, to continue to drive the legacy of Donald Gordon and the team that built this in and opened it in 1973 and really created something that is loved by the people of Johannesburg and the whole of Africa, really. Everyone knows about Santon City, and it is, as you say, an icon or a monument um, in, in, in our country. Yeah, it is incredible. I mean, it's it's amazing how it has become this, not only like a, an attraction that people want to see when they visit from overseas, but also when they visit from other cities. And on the one hand, it is a place where you can shop. I mean, you've got the Diamond Walk, which has all the designer brands, but you've also got your everyday shopping. You've got your fashion shopping. You've got, you know, things for the kids, things for the adults. But at the same time, it is become this address that people want to go to. And it's quite funny how it didn't necessarily start like that. Like many things in Santon, I remember when they first wanted to name Santon, Santon people lost their mind and they said, what a horrible name. And uh, why would you call something Santon and what does it mean? Um, and I think very much the same thing with Santon City. It also started off as something where people said, why would you want to build this thing? Who's going to go to it? Why would you shop there and look at it now? Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing that is so amazing about it, 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 that it has become a place. It's that fourth place where it's not where people work. It's not where they go home. It's not where they are online. It is this place where all those things meet and where the at the essence of human behavior, people want to be together uh, and people want to be in a place that they feel safe. It is very important for us to understand what our customers want and give that to them. It's no point building a mall and hoping people are going to come there. <laughs> you need to know that people are there and you need to bring to them what they want in that place. And I think Santon really stands for that. Um, and it welcomes everyone here. Amazing. Well, have you got any uh, new developments uh, in the pipeline uh, going into 2024? Anything that we should be aware of? I know Nike has opened an incredible new store with the most unbelievable LED screens. And I see Sunglass Hut has just opened its new store, which is looking fantastic where the old Starbucks used to be. And I'm not going to go through the whole list because, I mean, there's a whole bunch of new shops that are opening in, uh, all the time. Uh, anything that you want to highlight? Something that I'm really excited about is some work that we're doing on the roof. And these are really interesting developments of some different things that you're going to see on Santon's roof. It's probably the most valuable piece of real estate in Santon. We're going to have fun up there and do some really lovely things uh, into the new year. I mean, I feel like that's going to be the cliffhanger I'm going to leave you on because uh, I'm keen to hear a bit more. But uh, time's up. But it's been great to chat to you again. Emilia Beatty, she's the chief executive of Liberty Two Degrees, home of Santon City. And if you haven't been to Santon City, I, I question if you actually even live in Johannesburg or in South Africa. But uh, make your way down there. And I know there's a lot happening at the center during this month. Uh, they've been running some great promotions as well. So it's, uh, it's just one of those things that we have to uh, take a moment and uh, celebrate. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to take a quick break and more after this. Connect with the Santon Times. Email editor at santontimes.co.za.
You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and available on all good podcast platforms. This past week, uh, South Africa uh, woke up to the news that there is a new Miss Earth. And if you haven't heard about Miss Earth uh, in South Africa, well, uh, you haven't been around for the last 20 years because the leadership program has been celebrating uh, its 20th anniversary this year. And here to chat to me about uh, who the new Miss Earth is and also the 20 years of uh, the initiative, I'm joined by Catherine Constantinides. She's the national director of Miss Earth South Africa but she's also an activist. She is uh, an environmental person at heart. And Catherine, it's great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. It's so wonderful to chat to you. Thank you for the opportunity. And hello to the listeners. Well, Catherine, listen, I feel like uh, I'm coming into this conversation with uh, uh, a lot of uh, provenance because uh, you and I met 20 years ago, or is it 21 years ago, when you had just one <laughs> Miss Earth yourself. Uh, we were uh, much younger, way more energy. Well, I don't know about me. Uh, you, you definitely have more energy now than ever before. But, uh, but I had more energy back then. And, uh, and you then set out to set up Miss Earth South Africa. How did that all come about? You know, it, I can't believe, I cannot believe that was 20 years ago. Firstly, let me just put that there. Wow. And we were literally babies. I don't know. It's so strange to look back and to actually acknowledge that it's possibly it's even it, I, my brain cannot fathom that it's 20 years, but nonetheless, two decades that I look back on that truly have been remarkable. They've had their highs, their lows, and they've certainly had the immense challenges and, and, and good fights. Um, but here we are. And I think 20 years ago, after I had had the opportunity to, to be a part of Miss Earth and to understand what the concept was, having really been so invested in community work as a young girl um, while I was at school, growing up in a home where the environment, you know, I remember spending time in the garden with my dad all the time. I, you would swear that I slept in the garden as well because the, the memories I have are not only so vivid, but so intense with all the things he shared and taught us about every shrub, tree, bush, flower, every creature that lived in our garden. And he gave us the immense responsibility that that garden was our responsibility. But in, in reference and looking back, it was as if he was telling us that we were custodians of the earth. And we literally took that um, both figuratively and literally and, and lived that in our daily lives. And so being a part of Miss Earth South Africa, and being, in fact, the first Miss Earth South Africa, it was a beautiful experience. However, that experience was all operated from the international office, which lives in the Philippines. And after my year of reign, I said, you know what, I really want, I want to own this program for South Africa. I want to run it from South Africa for South Africans, but I want to build something that's far greater than an international beauty pageant, more than an international experience for a young woman. I want to do something that's going to allow more women into the space of climate change. Then we called it global warming. And we want, I really wanted to expose people to the things I was seeing happening on the ground. And so from that premise, the Miss Earth South Africa leadership platform was born here in South Africa. And it was difficult because very few people understood what we were trying to do or could actually imagine why it was that we were focusing so, so deeply on an issue that was not yet 
something that was part of the mainstream struggle and challenges of our country. At the time, we had social justice issues and massive challenges such as AIDS and HIV. We were very focused on, on the many other challenges that we were struggling with as a nation. But our goal was really to see how do we weave environmental issues with the social justice issues in order to build something that people can start to understand and people are open-minded to listen to what is truly going on. Yeah, and fast forward 20 years, here we are uh, in Santon. Uh, you had a fantastic uh, gala dinner. You had an announcement. You've crowned uh, your 20th uh, Miss Earth South Africa, a young lady from uh, Umschlange, if I've got that right, uh, in KZN, Zabelo uh, Hlabisa. And uh, she's been joined by, by three runner-ups who are also part of the program who help uh, do all the things that you do. And I think this is the interesting thing about uh, Miss Earth, and not to take away you know, from any of the other pageants and leadership programs, is that Miss Earth as, a, as an event and as a program uh, has got this uh, incredible uh, duty behind it, which is uh, all this environmental stuff that you do. You've got uh, tree planting uh, initiatives. You've got cleanups. There's a lot that's attached to it. It's not just about sort of coming, winning the title, and then sort of finding something to do for you. Absolutely. You've, you've put that quite beautifully. It really is a collective responsibility and it's a working title. So it's not just this glamorous, beautiful, amazing platform, which yes, it is. But for us, that's the smallest part of it. That is just the, the, the icing on top of the cake because the work is the most important. The impact on the ground is most important. The young woman, Zabelo, who you have said is from KwaZulu-Natal, she's originally from um, Newcastle, but she's mm. currently living in Durban, in Etiquini. And the one thing I'm not sure if we mentioned this on the night, but something really beautiful that sticks out for me is that Zabelo is in fact a traditional healer. And so she has a huge vested interest in making sure that we have an understanding of what kind of traditional methods, the indigenous knowledge of our people, how do we use that to unlock the solutions that we we so desperately need to address the climate and environmental degradation that we see taking place? And there is, you know, for the last few days, we've had intense meetings, workshops, strategy sessions with these four young women, because I think together they make an amazing group. And I'm really excited to see what they will achieve over the next year. Well, there's a great story that you always tell and you told it on the night as well about, uh, you know, sort of putting 20 years into perspective. And uh, you were responsible for the trees that sort of flank the road left and right uh, in Soweto as you drive into Soweto to Baragwanath Hospital. They were probably small shrubs when you when you planted them. And now they are tremendous trees that sort of provide shade and kind of just uh, bring that whole road to life. And that is quite some perspective. Uh, in terms of giving you an idea of, of what you've done. And you've done this a hundred or a thousand times over in so many different places. But Catherine, before I let you go, I think uh, it would be uh, a miss of us to uh, lose the opportunity to people to give people one piece of advice or one piece of action that they can do to help uh, improve our environment and contribute to a better environment. What What, what would that be? Alex, you know, I think each and every one of us can do something and the power of the individual must never be underestimated. And I really want to drive that home because it is really important to look at collective effort and the collective and what we can do collectively to make something happen. But that all starts with the individual. Each and every one of us at home 
starting today, when you've listened to this, whenever it is that you might listen to it, start to close the water when you're washing your teeth, unplug your charger from the plug point when you're not charging your phone, make sure that the kettle is not plugged in when you're not boiling water, make sure that you start to make a habit of recycling one item, it can be plastic, it can be glass, it can be paper, but make one thing a habit and then add something else to it. Don't take on too much that you then don't see it through. Never forget the impact that one individual can have. And I would like to just leave you with this. 20 years ago, there was one crazy young girl who believed that she could change the face of, of her community, that she could green an entire space. 20 years later, she has planted 50,000 trees and those trees are all labeled, earmarked, geographically located in a logbook. But those trees provide shade, fruit during summer um, in certain communities. And it was that one crazy wild individual that you also met 20 years ago that really was relentless in her belief that the individual can do something to change the world. You have it. Uh, some great ideas, some great stories, very inspiring story as well. And uh, Catherine Constantinides, National Director of Ms. Earth South Africa, congratulations on 20 years and here's to another 20 years uh, to you and of course to the winners of this year's uh, competition and uh, leadership program. We wish you well in the year ahead. It's certainly the most interesting of times to be uh, in this space. It's the bottom of the hour. It's uh, the Santon Times Hour. We're going to take a quick musical break and more of the Santon Times Hour right after this. more the Santon times hour continues you're listening to the Santon times hour on mix and 93.8 and uh, that was the bucket heads with the bomb these sounds fall into my mind my name is alexander leipner and uh, you know how this works if you regularly listen and you want to get some more information about some of the things we chatted about on the show you can go on to the santontimes.ca and you can go on show notes for this week and get all the information uh, contact details, additional websites, additional reading uh, on some of the interviews and uh, so much more. Also, don't forget you can visit the uh, social media accounts. Depending on whatever social media you're on, you can visit at Santon Times and follow us there. And also get in touch via any of the channels and uh, always welcome your thoughts, your feedback and your input. Now, alongside the BRICS Summit that we've hosted in Santon this year, uh, there was another interesting reveal that happened, and uh, it's a new motorsport. And if you're into fast cars and racing, this is something for you. And if you're not, I think you'll be interested nonetheless. It's called the Elite World Cup, and uh, it's a, a brand new a piece of motorsport that's going to be coming onto the scene. And here to chat to me about this is co-founder of the Elite World Cup, Stephen Watson. And Stephen, tell us a little bit more about the Elite World Cup for people who are not familiar with this motorsport. Look, the Elite World Cup is conceptualized around having a World Cup for motorsport. Many other sports have World Cups, but motorsport typically doesn't have one. Motorsport is typically a place where automotive manufacturer goes head to head with another manufacturer in some form of competition, be it Formula One, be it NASCAR or IndyCar or Le Mans sports car racing. And inevitably, whoever designs the best car has the most power has a technical advantage. So we don't always see who is actually the best team or the best driver. You know, if we were to take Formula One right now, for example, Max Verstappen is dominating in the Red Bull and all the teams have been on the back foot trying to catch up to Red Bull's technical advantage. Of course, Max himself is a superb driver. But what if you were to put them all in exactly the same specification cars, give them exactly the same environment to prep those cars and if those drivers were to represent their countries. And that is effectively what we want to achieve 
The big difference here is we're not going to be doing it in a single-seater race car. We'll be doing it in an electric hypercar, um, which is really what's happening in the automotive industry. You look at um, China and other markets, the electric car market is booming, and it's time for change. We're all focusing on the environment. We want a better world for our children, and uh, this is part of that revolution. So we're taking the concept of drivers and teams having equal equipment, the same amount of time, uh, to prep in the same environment, their cars, and to go head-to-head -head on a racetrack, but really want to attract the best drivers in the world to come and represent their countries, as would any World Cup competition. Yeah. Well, look, it's quite interesting that you said it's an electric vehicle, because I think in the beginning of this electric vehicle conversation, a lot of people were saying, well, it's not the same, and you don't have the sound, and can you honestly get the same kind of speed? And just the other day, I was actually test-driving the BMW i7, and uh, I could actually not believe the kind of force and power that you can get out of an electric vehicle, let alone I'd like to know what you can get out of this Lotus, uh, which is the model that you guys are using for this race. And it is, firstly, it has a very unique sound in terms of how electric cars sound. But secondly, it's, it's starting to rival um, petrol or diesel powered engines in quite a fascinating way. Look, absolutely. I mean, look, first and foremost, I think as South Africans, we're petrolheads, right? Yeah. We've been, you know, uh, we've been raised around gas guzzling V8s and that awesome sound that literally does unashamedly make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you hear those engines growl. And whether it's a V8 or a Lamborghini or a Ferrari V10s, V12s, etc. But the world is changing. And we all kind of just electric cars in the beginning. Who wants a car that sounds like a souped-up sewing machine? No one. But again, I think electric hypercars is changing that. And it, there, there's some staggering performance that we're seeing out of cars. So let's talk about the Lotus Avaya. This is a, a hypercar, super lightweight, full carbon shell. Um, looks unbelievable from an aesthetics point of view. But each wheel is powered by an electric engine, uh, you know, nearly 70 kilowatt engine. What does it actually mean? This car can do naught to 300 kilometers an hour in 9.1 seconds. It weighs around, you know, 1.6, depending on, on load, 1.6 tons. Now let's compare that. I mean, you're talking about a power to weight ratio, 2011 brake horsepower. So you have more horsepower, then you've got power. Compare that to Formula One. Right? The Formula One car right now is just over a thousand brake horsepower. And with the driver in the car, the regulations are as nudging on 800 kilos. So you've got F1 type performance, but in a road car. Because of the shape of the car, um, a lot more body work, you're able to generate a lot of downforce, a lot of ground effect through the floor. So 1.6 tons of downforce, the equivalent to the car weight at velocity, you're talking about an insane machine. Of course, it's powered by batteries. Now, it doesn't mean it's completely silent. It doesn't pass you by like Darth Vader in the night. Uh, it has a very unique sound. And as those engines really get up to high speed, they've got this whir about them that is actually starting to really appeal to the consumers. And um, now one goes past you is one thing, have 25 go past you wheel to wheel battling for position, it's going to be something else. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, your co-founders who are in this with you, uh, Tokyo Siswale and then also Liu Yu uh, of uh, of China, uh, you three have now taken on uh, to get this Elite World Cup, uh, well, out of the starting or off the starting line. And uh, there's quite a bit that I suppose still needs to happen till next year. I think next year is, uh, is your first race. But um, to give us a, an executive summary of what the plan is, I mean, you're no strangers to the motorsport business. How is this all going to roll out and how is this going to be different to some of the motorsport that we do know and is already happening in the world? Yeah, thanks. I Look, I think for any international competition of this scale, you've got to have a significant lead time and planning period. First of all, we've got to manufacture 50 cars, a racing derivative of the hypercar that you saw on the stage. That's no small um, task. That's probably the longest task in our project plan with the most uh, amount of independencies. But as we now lead from our announcement to the targeted launch of our first official tests for the teams and race one, September, October next year, there's a whole wave of work and a whole wave of an exciting announcements that's come at, that come as a result. We'll be announcing the teams, who are the team owners, who are the team drivers. We're already starting to see an, a real interest. Five teams have effectively already been committed. You're going to have a you know, composition of team owners that are from famous celebrity actors to unbelievable drivers who've proved their credentials on the race on racetracks around the world. Uh, entrepreneurs, it's really very exciting to see how some of these teams are starting to come together. Of course, we've got to announce the calendar. I'm happy to share with you that, you know, we plan to race across five continents because China and South Africa um, are host. Uh, entrepreneurs, if you like, uh, of the series, we're definitely going to have a race. So South Africa will have a race. China will probably have two races. Um, where where else are we hoping to race? Uh, we will definitely be in Asia. We'll definitely be in the Middle East. I've mentioned Africa already. We will go to the UK. We will go to Europe, um, uh, United States and South America. So those are the targets. Uh, we already know which tracks we want to go to. And so by the time we get to early next year, we'll announce a calendar of around eight races. Um, and I think you'll start to see literally announcements coming up every single month. Um, so you know, make sure you guys stay tuned. You'll get all the press releases from us, of course, as, as sent in times. And um, sure, we're really excited. I think next out of the blocks will be we'll start to announce members of our International Advisory Council. We've got some industry leaders uh, who will be advising us as co-founders as we continue to shape this championship in an engaging manner with all the nations competing. So tons of work to do, um, work we've all done before. It's not a new journey. I've been involved in you know the planning and preparation for the 2010 World Cup. I was involved in setting up A1 Grand Prix. I was staff member number one, and we built that in, in record time as well. Um, so path traveled before, but exciting times ahead. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Stephen Watson, co-founder of the Elite World Cup, chatting to us about this brand new motorsport, electric powered. And uh, yeah, if you didn't get to see the car uh, in Nelson Mandela Square, we, we've got it up on the website. If you uh, do a little bit of searching on the Santon Times, you can have a look. I think it's in excess of 50 million rand plus. So if you've got some extra cash lying around, I think there's only a, a few made around the world of these. And uh, it's quite an impressive vehicle. And uh, Stephen, it's been great having you on the Santon Times Hour. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times.
All right, the Rugby World Cup is still well underway, and I hope you're enjoying all the action that's happening on our screens. And it's so great to be watching uh, some great international live sport again. And uh, yeah, South Africa played Romania this past weekend. I'd be great to get your thoughts and feedback on what you thought and how that went. But uh, it is the pinnacle tournament of uh, the sport. And uh, I think coaches, fans, former players, everyone's in on it. And everyone wants to obviously uh, get in on the action and also provide some great insights on what's happening. And one of those people is former Springrock coach Nick Mallett. He's been debating this for over 30 years. And he's just written a book called Insights into the Rugby World Cup. He's written it with uh, News24 Sports editor Lloyd Bernard and Nick famously also coached the box back in 1999 at the Rugby World Cup and Nick Mallet joins me on the line and uh, Nick so great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. Yeah thanks very much for having me Alex looking forward to it. Well Nick tell me what brought about the idea of putting this book together I mean I suppose uh, as a former coach of the game uh, there's always this inclination to want to uh, provide your insights and your experience and put it on paper. Yeah, I, I, my, my my wife has made me promise never to write a book, so, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I had to explain to her that this wasn't going to be about personalities, it's more about the game of rugby that, that I really love, and uh, I've, I was very fortunate in that I was, I've been able to watch um, from 1991 every single World Cup, I've, I've, I've participated in two as a coach, uh, in '99 with, with with South Africa and, and in 2011 with uh, with Italy, so um, I, you know I've had quite a lot of experience with this competition and seen it, how it's grown and how it has become a really a global event. So I thought it, it's going to definitely capture the, the 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 minds, hearts, and minds of South Africa, especially as we're defending champions. And I was contacted by um, uh, Jonathan Ball Publishers, who said, "Listen, Nick, would you would you would you mind you know thinking about writing a book? Just a, a, a you know, it's not a, a not a very heavy read. It's really quick, and uh, but it's with some nice, interesting personal stories. And and then I just make a few predictions, which I'll probably get wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's always the danger of predictions. Is that uh, you know, if you do them well, you consider it uh, you know an oracle, and if you get them wrong, well, you know what was the what was the man thinking? But uh, let, let's. <laughs> You know, let's get into that. I mean, you you talk about the magic of the of the World Cup, and and clearly it's a very different field to your everyday kind of rugby that we see on 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 weekends. It's a it's a it's the same game, but somehow it's all very different, isn't it? It is. It is because for for the players, this is the pinnacle of their of their uh, careers. You can work. You know, you can be really unlucky. You can have maybe a a 10 year career, and you're not quite good enough to get into the you know your first four year cycle. And then you could be playing all three years prior to the World Cup and then get an, an injury like, for example, Emile uh, Intermac from France, who got an injury just before the World Cup. So, you know, the focus is really on getting there and on, on representing your country. And, and to win a World Cup is for a rugby player very similar, I suppose, to winning an Olympic gold. And uh, the, all the teams are bought into this uh, So and the coaches. So the build-up in the year of the World Cup is, is really a World Cup focused as opposed to in the other years of the oh, you know the next three years coming up we're going to be seeing guys concentrating on obviously six nations and 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 the rugby championship but uh, but the world cup is a very very special competition and you see nerves coming in there that you wouldn't ever have seen if it was just a normal 
a normal test match that they used to play. Yeah, look, I think it's definitely one of those World Cups where you can't underestimate the opposition. They're all coming to uh, to do their best as well. Uh, what is your take on the team right now? How, how do you feel uh, they're performing and how do you think they're going to, to play out uh, in the World Cup? I mean, obviously, like I said, there's a huge expectation that we're going to take the cup again, yeah. but there's uh, expectation and then there's reality as well. Yeah, actually, Alex, I, I made a, a comment the other day about us playing three finals and two semi-finals to win this to win this competition, and and I believe that Scotland was like a semi-final. I think Scotland, number five in the world, they probably probably could beat England and uh, and Australia, and they have done already. Um, uh, and they, those two teams might make the semi. So that was our first semi-final. When we play Ireland next weekend, it's going to be it's going to be a final. South Africa, Ireland could just as easily be a final. If we get through to the quarterfinals, it's France or New Zealand. South Africa, France or South Africa, New Zealand is like a final. So there are two finals. Then we've got to play the semifinal, which could be Australia or England or Argentina. And then we've got to go and play the actual final. So this South African side has unbelievable challenges to face. It's the hardest school to get out of in the history of world, of, 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 of world rugby. But we've got an incredible squad. We've seen the, how, the, how the coaches have chopped and changed in the build-up to the World Cup. And we've seen some extraordinary performances from a number of players who we wouldn't have, have said were first-choice players. So I'm very confident that we're going we're gonna to do well. I think the big game is the quarterfinal. We can, if, we, if we can get, get through that quarterfinal, I think we'll make the final. And by the time you get to a final, it's really anyone's game. So we're in a good position to defend our title. And... Uh, the players are very positive, and I know so are the coaches. So a little chat I had with Rusty Erasmus before he left was they didn't believe they would win the World Cup in 2019. They thought this team needed four more years of development, and now they are four more years down the line. So they feel we're better prepared for this World Cup than we were for 2019. And that's really positive from a South African perspective. Well, I think that is a great uh, point to leave it on and uh, leave us with some hope and some inspiration uh, for the games to come. Insights into the Rugby World Cup there by uh, Nick Mallet. That's also the name of the book. Uh, go out and get it. There's some great stuff in there, uh, you know, talking about playing in France, talking about uh, the Rassi factor, key players, the referees, and so much more. So if you're a rugby fan or you're not a rugby fan and you just want to get up to speed and just brush up on the Bry conversation so you don't sound like you, you don't know what you're talking about, you can read this book and you can be, uh, you know, well up to date with all of that. We're going to take a quick musical break and more of the Santon Times Hour right after this. Online. On air. Anywhere. Anytime. This is the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. And that was Gowlin with Op Opa. Very nice track that. Uh, as we come into the last uh, 100 meter dash, of uh, this week's hour, I'm uh, thrilled to be talking about a program that I actually came across uh, a while back. Uh, I was actually sitting in a hotel, um, going through the TV channels as one does in a hotel. And, you know, they've always got uh, wild and wonderful uh, TV channels in hotels. And, and this one was truly wild. It was actually the National Geographic Wild Channel. And uh, there I saw a man, a brave man, sticking his head into a, uh, I think it was like sort of the bottom part of a bathtub. Remember those bathtubs that were sort of blocked off? Uh, at the bottom, and then there was sort of, yeah, I mean, you know which one I'm talking about. And, and you have to sort of take a lid off to kind of get into the bathtub. And he was sticking his head in there because somebody had lost, I think it was a cobra or a black mamba or something. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I found myself watching this for hours. <laughs> I think they had one episode after another. 
And uh, if you know the show, you know which one I'm talking about. It's called Snakes in the City. Uh, and Simon Keyes is the man who stuck his head underneath that bath. And Simon, it's good to have you on the line. Simon, how how, how do you even get into a job like this? Um, I wasn't looking to do it. I've uh, always had a fascination with animals, it, not just snakes and reptiles, but uh, from an early age, you know. And um, I was always allowed to keep, you know, basic things like guinea pigs and fish tanks and ponds and things like that. But the one animal I was never allowed because my mum had a phobia was a snake. Until one day at the age of about 11 or 12, she let me have a corn snake. And that's the worst of mistake of her life she ever made because in about six weeks, I had about 30. So wow. um, that's kind of how it started. And um, I just learned, I taught myself really to handle the snakes. Um, and in, within a couple of years, I had around 88 venomous snakes at home. Um, which I looked after. Incredible. I mean, a yes. lot of the times you're pulling snakes out of the most dire, if not cluttered, if not built up spaces in people's homes, garages, backyards. I mean, it's really not ideal working conditions at the best of times. And you're dealing with snakes in many instances. Uh, this particular edition that I saw, you were in Durban uh, at someone's house or at someone's sort of backyard workshop uh, having to dig out, I think it was a black mamba or a, or a cobra, but it was it was uh, definitely a dangerous snake. Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, we, we do get ourselves into some tricky situations. I mean, snakes don't know it's your home. That's the unfortunate bit, or your car or your school. Um, they're just going around either looking for a mate to breed with or they're looking for food most of the time or looking for shelter. Sometimes it's too hot outside and they want to get inside in the shade. Or it could be too cold outside and they're looking for somewhere warm. And they do end up in people's houses, unfortunately. And then they call a snake catcher like myself to come and <laughs> deal with the little situation. And sometimes it, we could be there minutes and sometimes we could be there hours trying to get it out. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, the mambas, especially the black mambas, they become very nervous. And if they feel trapped, then they will defend themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's why we use the tongs to try and, you know, to, to catch them safely without any injuries and anyone getting bitten. So, yeah, yeah they, but all snakes would rather avoid humans at all costs. Well, would you say that South Africa has a particularly interesting cocktail of snakes uh, rolling around uh, our, our backyards and obviously also our greater wildlife area? Yes, you do indeed. South Africa has got some amazing um, wildlife, as you know, and snakes were just among the animals there. And, um, you know, we've got everything from harmless brown house snakes to, and bush snakes to herald snakes. Then things start to get a little bit more toxic, uh, like with your night adders, they're very common. And then obviously your Mozambique spitting cobras, your mambas, your bombsongs and your vine snakes, just to name a few. Mm. Um, most of the snakes are harmless, which is good to know. Uh, it's good to learn your snakes, too. You know, if you, you're always worried about a snake um, or snakes that could be around, get yourself a, a book and do some research and then you know what the snakes look for you know to look for um and there's always generally someone to help at hand yeah absolutely do, do you find that your work is ever increasing i mean do you find that more uh well i suppose humans are encroaching on on, on the snakes territory not the other way around yeah correct that's the problem um we're taking up more and more of their space and it's not just snakes it's the monkeys it's it's everything and that's the problem it's not the animal's fault you know, before humans started digging up all the forests and everywhere else and putting houses and businesses, you know, the snakes and wildlife were quite happy. Now they're getting closer and closer to human dwellings 
And because humans, you know, we put our rubbish outside when we, you know, our waste food and things like that, and it attracts rats. And your monkeys open the bags and they chuck the food everywhere. And in turn, um, you know, the rodents come to eat the leftover scraps of food and they attract snakes. So, you know, our advice is, you know, you're going to get the odd snake from time to time. Most of the time they'll be harmless, but there could be something that could, you know, cause, um, could be a danger. Um, so keep your area, your back garden and your property as clean and tidy as possible. And that just limits it. It won't stop it, but it will reduce the problem. Well, you've got the latest uh, season of snakes in the city. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. What's the season about? Yes, well, it's been an exciting year so far. Um, we've been to India and we filmed out there uh, three episodes. So that'll be shown later next year. Um, but for this year, currently airing, obviously, you've, you've got the season nine airing at the moment. And that's partly in India and partly in South Africa. So we've done a bit of both. We thought we'd change things up a little bit. You know, we've done lots in Durban, which is great. We love Durban. Yep. And the snakes in Durban are amazing. Um, <laughs> but just to throw a spanner in the works, we thought we'd uh, go to India. Uh, it's been fantastic out there. Um, different animals, obviously, different snakes. And so, yeah, you'll get to see that now. And um, myself and Susie will be heading back later in November, back to Durban to finish off season 10, which will be shown next year. Well, let me tell you, the snakes in Johannesburg are equally as uh, enthralling, but I don't think we're talking about the same snakes. Um, Simon, <laughs> yeah, you get some different ones there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Do. But uh, so, <laughs> uh, Snakes in the City is on uh, National Geographic Wild. Uh, it's channel 182, Sunday nights at 6 p.m. And uh, I mean, Simon, maybe some, some, some quick sort of back of the envelope help. If people do come across a snake, what is the first thing they should do? I mean, mostly it's screaming and running and panicking, but uh, after all of that... yeah. Okay. If it's outside, that's where it's supposed to be. But if it's in your garden, you've got children, you've got dogs or pets or whatever, best thing to do, don't approach it. Try and get a photo if you can. The snake won't come after you. As long as you keep a little bit of a distance, it'll just try and hide away. If you can get a photo of it, that's good. Don't put yourself in the firing line, obviously. And if there's a local snake catcher in your area, which there normally is, send a photo through if you're not sure, and then they can tell you what it is. And if it's just a bush snake or something, you might be happy to leave it there. It will soon slither away. If it's gone into your house, that's a little bit different. So it could be something completely harmless, but treat it that it's not, just in case. So lock the bedroom door or whichever room it's in. It could be in the kitchen. Shut the windows from the outside. If you can get a photo again, great. If you can't, it, you know, don't get yourself in the firing line. Phone the snake catcher and they'll come and deal with it. Um, don't try and pick the snake up or do anything silly. Don't try and hurt the snake because that's when it will defend itself and try and bite. Well, there you have it. There's some good advice there. Simon Keyes uh, of uh, National Geographic's Wilds Snakes in the City. Uh, it's been great having you on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, it's been great uh, to talk to you. And I uh, hope you talk to you again. And that's it for the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8. And it's always available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. If you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santantimes.co.za or you can connect on social media at santantimes and visit the website santantimes.co.za and feel free to send through your questions, your comments, your feedback, your input, all of that is welcome. Thank you to all my guests who made the time to be on the show this week uh, as well as Vincenzo. By the way, we've got some uh, really interesting shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've been working on something in the background and I'm really excited about it because we've been putting a lot of time and effort uh, into two particular editions, which are sort of special editions of the Santon Times Hour. So so stay tuned for those. Those are coming up uh, in uh, in a bit, right? Yeah. Okay, cool, Vincenzo. Of course, thank you to everyone at the Santon Times as well as uh, everyone at Mix 93.8. And uh, thank you for listening.
and let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santon Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it. 